0: Well, happy Father's Day. It is so good to be here this morning. And uh, I'm just so thankful for all of you dads. Um, When we think about Father's Day, everybody has a father. Everybody knows a father. And some of us have the privilege of being fathers. And I just want you to all know that if you are a dad, I am so thankful for you. And I want you to know that what you do matters. And uh, you know, fatherhood is full of joys and at sometimes incredible pain and sorrow. And so, father, fatherhood can be challenging. And uh, I just want to say thank you f- for being a dad. And I want you to know that every dad in this church, I pray for you, and I am very thankful for you. I think about the the dads that God's put in my life, and uh, you know, I think about Michelle's dad, and what an incredible blessing. That he has been to me personally. So when I married into the family, he was an accountant, and uh, and he over the years has given us such good, you know, financial advice. He's encouraged us. He's taught us things. And one of the things that um, that I noticed about Michelle's dad is that he was loved passionately by all of his clients, and people had so much respect for him. And uh, one of the things that's just been so awesome is. You know, as our kids have, like, as, as I've thought about them being successful in life and things that they need to learn and things that they need to do, how often I would just say, go ask grandpa. And how my kids would go talk to her dad and how thankful I was for the way that he invested in our kids and the way that he encouraged me. And I'm sure that he loves Michelle more than me. But in, in our entire marriage, I have never sensed, that he loved Michelle more than me. I mean, he has just welcomed me and loved me. And I think about my dad and how thankful I am for my dad. You know, my dad and I, (laughs) in some ways, are very different. Um, My dad, growing up, was not a Christian. And so my whole life growing up, I did not have the element of spiritual influence and spiritual purposefulness that actually is the most important thing that a dad does. But I think about the way that God used my dad in my life. So one of the things is, you know, my dad was just so tough, he was never afraid of anything. And I, just growing up, I was such a sissy. Growing up, I was scared of the dark. Uh, when I went to school, everybody picked on me. You know, I, I, it's like I could be in a crowd of like 50 people, and somehow they would find some people, the bullies would find me, and they would punch me. Like I had, there was something about me that said, Come pick on me, I'm afraid. And uh, I remember uh, just going home, and it, it, this was like such a big deal in my life. And I would go home and just talk to my dad about it. And he never solved the problems for me. He never teased me. But he would al- he would just help me think things through. <laughs> I have this one memory of uh, I grew up in the Antelope Valley where things can be a little bit rough. And I remember um, one time we had gone to the movies, and so me and my friends are in my dad's van, and he's driving us home. And I had this friend that, like, used to like to instigate things with people, and so as we're leaving this parking lot, he looks out the window at this group of guys, and he goes, you know, made some aggressive symbol at these people. And uh, he's like, it doesn't matter because we're leaving. (laughs) We're driving away. What are they going to do? And all of a sudden my dad's like, oh, wait, you know what? I need to go get something so he flips a u-turn and goes back and parks and this (laughs) crowd of people is now coming over to our van and my friend is hiding in the van he is scared (laughs) and so I get out of the van now my dad doesn't know any of this is going on all he knows is that I get out of the van and I stand off to the side and this group of people <laughs> comes around me, <laughs> and some guy squares off on me and starts telling me <laughs> what he's going to do to me. You know, how he's going to injure me, you know, in so many words. Yeah. And um, and my dad is just standing there, and it's so funny. He says, uh, he just looks at me and he goes, drop him, Raj. <laughs> <laughs> and uh the, the thing about my dad is I knew that he was not intending to participate, but I knew that he cared about me and I knew that no matter what happened out there, I was going to be okay because my dad was right over there. And a physical altercation did take place <laughs> and uh, my dad did not end up getting involved and obviously I'm still here. So, um, But I just think about the ways that my dad blessed me, the ways that he encouraged me. And I think about my life today and who I am and how much of that goes back to contributions that my dad made to my life. And one of the things that is amazing is my dad did come to know the Lord. He was in his 80s. Uh, We were, Michelle and I were married. Our kids were older. Our whole family, like, it was so fun watching my kids try to share the gospel with my dad. And I was like, all the stuff I say doesn't work. Maybe something you say will help. And, uh, you know, grandparents sometimes are susceptible to grandkids. But, um, you know, just so awesome to see my dad come to know the Lord before he left this world. And, uh, you know, I just think about fatherhood. Fatherhood is under such attack in our culture. Uh, Dads are discouraged, Uh, they are distracted. Uh, We we think that that fatherhood is about baseball, or about this, or about a job, or sometimes fatherhood is about neglect. And the spiritual things that God has called dads to do get set on the back burner. Uh, There is so much pressure to be disengaged as a dad, and sometimes so much pain that can come when we try to get involved the way God wants us to. And our culture certainly wants to shut down the leadership that God intends. You know, nobody's perfect and all of us have fallen short. But I just want you to know that if you were a dad, God has and God can and God will use you greatly in your kids' lives. You know, um, my dad, seriously, he failed in so many ways growing up as a a father, and and mainly because he didn't know the Lord, wasn't walking with the Lord. And uh, when I think about that, um, I still am so thankful for how in the church, some of the things that I didn't learn from my dad, I actually learned from other men after I became a Christian, other men in the church who came alongside and encouraged me and supported me and taught me things. And how God does that through the body of Christ You know, um, when I think about, uh, you know, I just want to say something to kids and all of us who have dads, it can be so easy to criticize. And I just want to encourage everybody here, every wife, every kid, um, everybody, man, you should love and encourage and support your dad. That is so important. And uh, I'll just tell you this. My dad did pass away, and I got to tell you, I have zero regrets in my relationship with my dad. When I was a teenager, um, I did so many intensely hurtful things. Um, After I was married, I remember my dad one day, um, just like emotional about a a period of time in my life where I didn't talk to him for two months because I got mad at him about something. And, And I thought about that and I thought about a bunch of other things that I had done that brought pain into my dad's life and I owned up to those. I apologized to him. I told him how much I loved him and in my life um, I never missed an opportunity to thank my dad and to appreciate him and when he passed away uh, being able to just say there was nothing I would have done different And, of course, lots of things that were wrong in my life. But I just want to encourage everybody here that that is one of the greatest gifts you give yourself is to love and encourage your dad. Now, I want to start this Father's Day sermon. Okay, so first of all, um, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 1 through 4. And uh, guys, remember what we did for Mother's Day? 1 Samuel <laughs> chapter 1 and 2. So we're going to go to the same passage for Father's Day that we went for Mother's Day. But we're going to look at a different individual. We were looking at Hannah as a mom and just the great qualities in our life. And we're going to be looking at Eli. And if, if you were to go through scripture <laughs> and pick a dad that really blew it, that really missed opportunities in his life that did not live up to who God had called him to be, I think Eli is that person. And um, and I, I think if Eli could come back and talk to us, and, and I believe that Eli was a believer, <laughs> I think we're going to see Eli in heaven. Um, we will not be seeing his kids in heaven. But I think we'll see Eli in heaven. And if Eli could come back, and if he could talk to us, and if he could give us some advice, I think he would give us some really important pieces of advice. And I'm just going to list five things I think Eli should would tell us. Five things that I think we ought to pay very close attention to. And I want to encourage you about this too. Do you remember the Bema? (laughs) What was so awesome about the Bema is that. The guy thinks he's died and he's standing before God and it's too late, but then he wakes up and realizes, I still have time. And let me just encourage you here. If you're here, <laughs> you still have time. So let's, l- let me just list these five things. Here's the first thing. If you want to be the, the dad that God wants you to be and a dad without regrets, number one, you need to cultivate personal spiritual faithfulness. Uh, your, Your own spiritual life needs to be your priority over everything else you do. The second thing is that God has given you a leadership position, and God intends that you use your leadership position without abusing it. There's abusive leadership, and then there's a leadership that is neglectful. And God doesn't want us to do either. The other thing that for you to use your leadership properly, you need to cultivate spiritual perceptiveness. You need to be able to look at life and evaluate spiritual things so that you can make investments in the right ways and in the right places. And uh, you need to understand for the spiritual urgency of life. And then here's the final thing. Don't wait until it's too late. And as long as you're alive, and as long as the people that God has called you to influence are alive, it is very likely that there is still hope. So those are our five things that uh, Eli did not do that you and I are going to be committed to doing, right? Let's consider this first one. And uh, if you have your Bibles, go to... First Samuel chapter 1, verse 9, we need to cultivate spiritual faithfulness. And as we think about that, um, I want to just look at Proverbs 1, 7. It's on the screen. And it just says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The best thing you can do for yourself, if you want to be a wise dad, if you want to be a person that is spiritually influential, if you want to be the leader that God intends you to be, is you need to fear God because the fear of the Lord, a reverence for God, brings wisdom. And so as we pursue the Lord, we will have that. I think about what Paul told Timothy. He said, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Who you are, your heart, your passion, and if you teach the Bible, if you teach God's Word faithfully, if you live it out faithfully, personally, that will have a significant impact in the lives of the people that God's called us to lead. So let's jump into First uh, Samuel here. So. Um, in First uh, Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we find out that there's a man with two wives, and uh, one's named Hannah, and they go up every year to worship and sacrifice. Verse 3 says, Now this man used to go up yearly, year by year, from this city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. What's happening here in, in First uh, Samuel is God is like setting this contrast between an unfaithful priest, Eli, and his sons. And right at the beginning of this book, it lists that these people are spiritual leaders. And as we read through the book of First Samuel, <laughs> this section this morning, you'll be shocked that these people were spiritual leaders. And so that's what's mentioned. And God is raising up Samuel to take Eli's place. Now let's look at... Um, Verse nine, and we know that this marriage of these two women—we covered this on Mother's Day. One of the women would torment the other one intentionally because she had no kids. So this this lady, man, she is brokenhearted. She is overwhelmed, and here is where we see. Um, here is where we see Eli's lack of personal commitment. Look at this in verse nine. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh. Hannah rose. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forgive your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor will touch his head. And she continued praying before the Lord, and Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Now, um, we're going to find out that this lady, she's going through this incredibly difficult time, and she's doing something spiritually faithful. She's doing the right thing. She's pouring out her heart to the Lord. And let's look at the great spiritual wisdom of the leader of that time. It says, uh, Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. That word worthless is going to come back for us. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And then here's a statement that makes me think that Eli's a believer. He is a spiritually unperceptive, compromising, lazy priest. A person who pursues himself instead of God. But this is one of those things that gives me a window that I think I think Eli's a believer because it says then Eli answered, "Go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him." You know one of the things I thought about was um, Eli's sons we're going to find out are worthless, and he thinks she's worthless. and I, I, I thought to myself, he should be... A person well aware of being broken hearted and praying. And actually, if he was pursuing the Lord and if his heart was what the Lord, he would recognize if he had been pursuing the Lord and broken hearted and pouring out his heart in prayer, he would have noticed it yes. when somebody else was doing it. Yes. But because he didn't pursue the Lord in that way, he mistook a person who was loving the Lord and praying. Now we find out that God answers her prayer. She gives birth to Samuel. She goes back. And here's the interesting thing. This guy is now going to raise her son. And you're just like, okay, wait. There's like spiritual trouble here. If you were to pick people to raise your kids spiritually, I mean, he's the priest. He's in that position. But he is the last person I would want speaking into my kids' lives. And yet she's going to hand over Samuel. And we're going to see that God does an amazing thing. It's not just Eli. It is also the difference between Samuel and Eli's kids. And God is going to work in Samuel's life. And so in chapter 2, it's amazing. Hannah praises God. She lifts, lifts off her view of God. We covered that on Mother's Day. But let's look at another example of Eli's complete lack of spiritual perceptiveness a person who had neglected his personal relationship with the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 4. And you guys have probably heard this story. It says this, Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. So God is calling Samuel. And so he hears this voice, this audible voice, and he thinks it's Eli. So he runs over to Eli, and he says, Okay, here I am. You called me. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go lay down. And so he went and laid down, and the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose, went to Eli, and said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I didn't call you, my son. Lie down again. It says in verse 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He didn't recognize God's voice. He hadn't heard it. He hadn't been a a priest. So he's kind of missing this. And the Lord God called again a third time, and he arose, and he went to Eli, and he said, here I am, for you called me. And then it says this, then Eli perceived That the Lord was calling the boy. I mean, this guy's been a priest his whole life. It's one thing when Samuel doesn't realize God's calling, he's a little kid. He He is not a priest yet. But when a priest, when God is calling Samuel and this priest cannot figure out that God's speaking, it's because he has completely neglected his personal relationship with the Lord. And then Eli says this, it's another thing, it's positive, Eli's slow, he's spiritually dull, but then he says this, therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. One of the things that we find out is that God wasn't speaking. Eli hadn't heard God's voice in a long time. It's one of the things that the Bible tells us in Amos. It's like God tells Israel in the book of Amos, he says, I'm going to send a famine. And I'm going to send a famine not for food and not for water. I am going to send a famine for the word of God. Because you don't listen. And when you don't listen, I am going to stop speaking. And that's one of the things we need to recognize is that the people who pester you and bother you, and sometimes if your dad was always encouraging you to walk with the Lord and you ignored him, um, the, the greatest difficulty is when we walk down a road to sin and there's nobody there to go after us. There's nobody speaking into our life. When we end all those pesky relationships or this, people who have grown up in church stop going to church. That, that is like the greatest tragedy. Th- this is one of the things that is shocking to me is you have people who grow up and they don't prioritize being in church every week. What an amazing tragedy when, when a person removes themselves from God speaking into their life and being around people who can speak into their life. That is an incredible tragedy. That is a spiritual tragedy crisis. And often (laughs) we don't deal with that in our own life. And when the people we are supposed to influence step away from God's voice, we sit passively and often we think they're okay instead of realizing they are in incredible peril. So um, Eli is this spiritually unperceptive person who's not pursued his spiritual growth. Um, I just want to encourage you. There are times in my life when I've looked at things in Michelle's life and just thought, you know, she's really not all she should be spiritually. I know that's shocking to hear, but I've had those thoughts. And, and I've, I've looked at my kids as they were growing up. And there are times I've looked at their life and I've been really concerned about things that I see. There are times at church that I see people and I'm very concerned about things that I see in their life. And then I start thinking and evaluating (laughs) what God wants me to do. And you know, often as I sit and just think about everything, there come these like big things that pop into my mind and I realize actually my life is not where my life needs to be. And it's easy to, to look out and see the weaknesses everywhere else and not work on what you have to work on. And there are times that I've seen very serious things in other people's lives, and I have said nothing, and I have done nothing. Because the first thing I remind myself that I need to do is I need to work on me. And before I can speak to somebody else, I need to address the spiritual issues in my own life. And so that's the first thing here, Eli was not who God wanted him to be in the lives of other people because he was not personally who God intended him to be. Now, here's the second thing. You know, you think about Matthew 7, right? It says, uh, don't look at the speck in somebody else's eye. Get the log out of your own eye first. Why? Because if you have a log in your eye, you don't see clearly to take the speck out of someone else's eye. And then Matthew 7 goes on, and it says, after you take the log out of your eye, then you will be able to get the speck out of someone else's. And so the first thing in leadership and in being a godly dad is you deal with yourself first. The second thing is you don't abuse your leadership, but you use your leadership. See, one thing is, Um, People that are abusive in their leadership. I just tell you right now, prisons are full of people who were physically abused, who were emotionally abused. But you want to know who else fills prisons? Prisons are full of kids who had no discipline growing up. There was no exercise of authority in their life. There were kids who grew up, and they were like little children, and when their parents asked them to do things, it was a negotiation. Uh, have you ever seen like a three, four, or five four-, five-year-old? It was like their parents bring them to church, and they cry, and they throw a fit, and they say, I don't want to go in there. And the parents are like, oh, okay, <laughs> well, then you don't have to. It's like you're the parent. We don't take a three-year-old and say, give me guidance, give me direction. We don't negotiate with little kids. Um, Some of the greatest parenting advice I got from this older pastor when we were having uh, our kids was he said, your kids need to know two things. They need to know, number one, that you love them. The second thing is that they need to know that they must obey. And And I thought about that. It's like, I can love my kids. And if I say to my kids, stop, and they just ignore me and keep running, they'll be out in the street where they're run over by a car. And so... In life, you cannot parent if you don't teach your kids, if you don't exercise authority. We don't negotiate. Like when my kids are running and I say stop, why? I don't want to stop. <laughs> no, there's no discussion. You do exactly what I tell you when I tell you to do it. And, um, and, and that is just like that's something. That's just training. That's just practice. Uh, like little kids, no, you can't do this, but I want it. And they scream and cry. Um, if in your life you have little kids or teenagers, and when you ask them to do something, they don't do it, can you please pick up your toys? No, I don't want to. And then they throw their toys. Um, If you're not addressing things in your family, where you ask your kids to do things one time, you ever seen the parents who count? Come come over here and sit here. One, two, three. I saw this one parent. <laughs> this kid was like misbehaving. And the parent's like, stop doing that. And then the parent starts counting. And then the kid slaps the parent. And, <laughs> okay, my family's laughing because that's actually one of my family members who did that, not my kids. That is in our family. We're sitting there and it's like. And you just look at this disaster. You know, people don't spank their kids. Uh, and, and there's, like, it, it, is, it is just crazy that the way that people approach this. God's given us authority, and we need to use it, not abuse it. Um, Ephesians says this, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Like, we're not creating frustration. We're not abusing our kids. They don't exist to serve us. But part of loving and training kids is that they obey. If your kids don't obey you, they won't obey God. And when you think about the fact that if you train your kids to take everything you say under advisement, oh, yeah, you asked me to clean my room. No, I don't want to. I won't do that. When you train the people that God has given you to lead, to function in that way, you are teaching them to ignore God. We're shocked. Our kids won't pick up their toys, but then as they grow up, they disregard God in their life, and they take everything that God says as something optional. Well, it's no surprise. That's how we've trained them to respond to authority. You know, the Bible says this in 1 Peter 5, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as god would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those uh, in your charge but being examples okay (laughs) you want to read how that went wrong in samuel's life i think if he could come here all that stuff i just said he would say, this is critical, this is important, do this. And we're going to read about why he would say that, because he didn't. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 11. It says, then Alkiah went home to Ramon. The boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. (laughs) Think about that. Do you think we have... Pastors, Do you think we have preachers? Do you think we have famous spiritual leaders that don't know the Lord that are worthless men? Yes. And what happens is often we'll take these worthless men who are spiritual leaders and we look at them and then we judge the church by that. How could that leader do that? How could this leader treat me this way? I hate God. I hate the church. I'll never trust the church because look what that spiritual leader did. When the truth is, there are many spiritual leaders that are worthless men, they don't know the Lord. Do you know how you know if a leader's a worthless man who doesn't know the Lord? Number one, they don't faithfully teach scripture. There are so many times that I've heard people say, oh, this leader, he's a very faithful man. Now, he doesn't believe this part of the Bible. He doesn't believe that part of the Bible. But he's a very spiritually faithful man. Hey, there are spiritually faithful people that believe all kinds of things. Like on any view, we could say theologically we've got a spiritually faithful man here and a spiritually faithful man here. Can I just tell you, if you don't believe and obey Scripture, you are not spiritually faithful, and so when you go, the Bible says this, but there's a bunch of people who don't believe that part, they are not spiritually faithful. And when you hear about these spiritual leaders who are abusive to people in their church and in, under their people under their leadership and they're sexually immoral, and all these affairs come out, those are not spiritually faithful men. They're people just like Eli. Uh, just like Eli's kids, worthless, who don't know the Lord. And what I think is crazy is we take spiritually unfaithful people, but because they're famous or they have lots of degrees or because other people we know and respect like them, we allow these people to speak into our life or to be representatives of Christ. And so we hate the church because of the things these people do. Well, Eli's sons are worthless men. Uh, how about this contrast? He's looking at some woman who's praying, who's pouring out her heart to the Lord, and he thinks she's worthless. And his own sons who are worthless, that he is overseeing, uh, he's oblivious to what is happening in their life. Look at verse 13. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest servants would come, and while the meat was boiling, a with a three-pronged fork in his hand, he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came. These guys are stealing the offering. People are bringing a sacrifice, and the priests. Are stealing it this everybody and any spirit position of spiritual leadership that embezzles money this is them and by the way I read this story you could have no accountability in my life you could take all the church's offerings you could put everything in front of me give me complete control of everything and I'm not suggesting that that should ever happen But did you know that there is not the remotest chance that I am going to steal God's offering? Not a chance. I read this story. And there's a bunch of people in positions of spiritual leadership, and there are a bunch of Christians who do things in life because they didn't read the Bible. So they're stealing the offering. Look at verse 15. Moreover, the fat was burned. The priest would, servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give me meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as they wish, which is what they were supposed to do, he would say, No, give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Like, this is abusive spiritual leadership. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in this sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Um, 1 Samuel 2, verse 18. <clears throat> Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with the linen ephod. His mother used to make for him a little robe, take it to him each year. She went up with her husband to offer a little yearly sacrifice There's this constant contrast. These are the people who are going to be rejected, and this is the person I'm bringing up next. Um, We use spiritual authority, but we don't abuse it. (coughs) You know what I think is amazing? (coughs) I think sometimes parents don't understand the value of church for themselves. They don't understand the value of God's word in the lives of the people in their life that they care about. They don't understand the value of of spiritual community and being around other believers. And so they're passive in their leadership. You know, if I had kids, like when my kids were growing up, but a lot of people got to let kids make their own choices. My kid doesn't like Sunday school. He's not going to have to go. I remember Jackson as a little kid, you know, in his Sunday school class one year, there were no other boys. And he came to me, and said, I hate Sunday school. There's no boys in Sunday school. I don't want to go anymore. And, and the class isn't that fun. And I said, well, Jackson, um, you say there's no boys in Sunday school, but if you don't go to Sunday school and somebody else, some other little boy visits Sunday school, what will happen? There'll be no little boys. You need to go every single week just in case another little boy comes so you can be with him never was there a negotiation with my kids about whether or not they were going to have spiritual influence in their life. I got a lot of homework. I can't go to youth group. Are you kidding me? I remember this one mom. Her her kid was just really struggling spiritually, uninterested in the things of the Lord. And um There was this discipleship group, and there were a bunch of kids his age that were praying for him and reaching out to him. And there was this adult college student that wanted to invest in him and and encourage him spiritually. And and I'm looking at this progress that's happening, and his heart's so cold. And every once in a while, I'm seeing that he's starting to feel convicted. But, I mean, he hasn't changed yet. And then he just quits coming to youth group. I remember calling his mom and saying... Hey, I haven't seen your son recently. What's going on? And she said, well, you know what? Um, He's got a lot of math homework, and it's really important that he does well in school so he can get a good job. She prioritized something unimportant. And guess what? She's the parent. She gets to decide. I said, okay, I I don't think that's a good idea. I talked to her about that. Uh, Three years later, her son is arrested and gets charged with a felony. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to call her, (laughs) I wanted to say, um, you are concerned about your kid's career. Well, what matters more, his felony or his math grade in high school? And, And the bottom line is she was valuing his career, but actually it was something far more significant than his career, his eternal destiny. And then I think about parents who financially support people who don't go to church, and I just—I'm just telling you—I'm not like this is not a one-size-fits-all. There's everybody makes their own decisions, but one of my kids living in my house—I don't care if they're an adult. I don't care if they're 50. You live in my house. You go to church every week. Now I'm not—you can't make somebody be a Christian. But if I care about your spiritual well-being, you're going to be in a place where you hear God's word because God's word is powerful. It never returns void. Do we believe that? Um, To take a person who's not walking with God and saying, you are going to get to know and sit next to other people who are walking with the Lord, who are going to pray for you. But we have people that are so passive in their leadership and they don't prioritize things that are of eternal significance. Um, I remember this kid, I know of a kid, um, addicted to drugs, loved drugs, wanted to keep taking drugs. And his parents went to him and said, if you don't go to rehab, you cannot live in our house. And this kid was saying, I like drugs, I wanted to stay on drugs, I felt like they were a wonderful part of my life, but also I didn't want to be homeless. So I went to rehab. While he was in rehab, some other Christians invested in his life, shared the gospel with him. He becomes a Christian. He is off drugs, and he is ministering to people in that same situation that he was in. What do you think about that? You're a parent. And you're going to tell your kid, I don't give you a dollar. I'm not going to finance your self destructive, spiritually rebellious life. You want to go to college, not go to church, live with somebody you're not married to? I don't pay for your school. I don't give money to somebody living a spiritually destructive life. Can you imagine how hard that would be for a parent to do, for a parent to say? But what it comes down to is, do we use the spiritual leadership that God gives us, or are we passive? Well, um, Eli was passive. Let's consider this. Eli should convolt. Con- every leader should cultivate spiritual perception. Let's read chapter two, verse. 22. Now, Eli was very old. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing in all Israel, so he's not seeing it, but he hears it from someone else. He's so spiritually unperceptive. He looks at his kids and thinks, oh, they're fine. They're priests. They're doing sacrifice stuff. They they talk about God, but he's spiritually unperceptive. I remember one time about 20 years ago, I'm talking to this mom who says, man, my son loves the Lord. Just loves the Lord so much. Now, he did just, please pray for him. He just got address, arrested. He's selling drugs. He's going to be going to prison, but he loves the Lord. That is a real story. A lady said that to me. Um, the Bible says, if you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And yet, we have all these people that look at somebody living a spiritually rebellious life and say, oh, no, they're a Christian. They love the Lord. That's not what the Bible says. That's the kind of thing that Eli did. And so he has to hear about these other things. Listen to this. Um, now, Eli was very old. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing in all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting, sexual immoralities. They're stealing the offering. They're sexually immoral. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear. The people of the Lord are spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if somebody sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Now listen to this. These are powerful words that come next. But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. God decided, now that that is an incredibly encouraging set of words. That is super encouraging. Do do you see the encouragement in that? They wouldn't listen to their dad because God decided he was going to kill them. Are you encouraged by that? That encourages me. (laughs) You want to know why that encourages me? It says they wouldn't listen to their dad because God wanted to kill them. Do you know what that means? if they would have listened, if they would have repented, they would have been forgiven. God forgives people who repent. And as bad as what they were doing was, as horrible as it was, as much as they were abusing their position of spiritual leadership, if they would have repented, God would have forgiven them. But that's actually God's judgment, is that at a certain point, we don't repent. We don't receive forgiveness. And that's when God decides you will die for what you have done. By the way, (laughs) I don't steal money. I don't sleep with other people I'm not married to because I don't want God to kill me. (laughs) And (laughs) or Michelle, that's true. Or a bunch of other people in this church would probably join in in that stoning party. <laughs> you know, um, nobody gets away with anything. They, they did this for a long time, and they felt like they were okay because they were doing it. Nothing was happening. It's one of the things you learn in life. Nobody gets away with anything. Um, let's look at the fourth, fourth thing. He, he missed the seriousness of spiritual urgency. Look at verse um, <clears throat> 27. There came a man of God to Eli, and he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to, your, to the house of your father when you were in Egypt? And, and basically what he's going to do right here is just say, I gave you an incredible privilege of being a priest and your family of being a priest. And by the way, if you're a dad, that is an incredible privilege then in verse 29, then why do you scorn my sacrifices, my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and you honor your sons above me? You know, you look at that and you're like, well he went to his kids and he said, you shouldn't do this it's bad that is not what God intends for spiritual leadership he should have removed his kids he should have known what they were doing he should have taken a hard stand in their life And that's what so many parents do. They sit there and they go, you know, it's a bad idea. You shouldn't do this. But then they still support the lifestyle. They don't take a hard stand. They're not willing to say no. They still contribute to the sinful life of the people they're supposed to lead. And um, God doesn't say to Eli, well, good, you kind of gave this soft warning. It's probably not a good idea. He didn't say that's okay. He said, you honored your sons above me. I want to tell you something else that says, you have made yourselves fat. Guess who else was getting fat eating these offerings? Eli. He was participating in their sinfulness. And then verse 30, therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me. But now declares the Lord, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. That's bad when God says that about you. You know, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30 says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Again, the Lord will judge his people. So God's going to bring vengeance on unbelievers. Um, I just tell you this. Your kids may be homeless. Your kids may not end up getting a college degree. But whatever... Steps you need to take in your kids' lives to be a godly influencer in their life, to stand against sinfulness, you need to do. Because God brings vengeance on his enemies, and Eli's kids were God's enemies. That's why he killed them. And the worst thing isn't that they were killed. The worst thing is that they left this life and spent forever separated from God. Now, Eli's also going to die. And that's this next part where it says, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, we have this. We focus so much on God's grace and kindness and forgiveness. God didn't just kill Eli's kids. He killed Eli. And um, God judged him. And you know what? We should have a healthy reverence for God. If you love God, you obey him. And if you disobey God, the Bible says that God disciplines those whom he loves. You should be afraid. Even if you think your kids are believers and they disregard God, that should terrify you for what will happen to them in their life. But often we just think, oh yeah, God kind of gives like these passive things and we kind of take them or leave them. We obey them or we don't. Um that's how we were raised, right? We disregarded our parents. That's how we raise our kids we train them to disregard us and then everybody grows up and disregards God and we should be terrified about disregarding God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God and so what's going to happen is in verse 31 um, God says he's going to destroy the family he's going to raise up a faithful priest and then I'll just the fifth point is this, don't wait until it's too late. You know, Proverbs says, discipline your son while there's hope. Don't set your heart on putting him to death. Or whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines is diligent to discipline him. You know, what we're going to see is going to happen is God speaks to Samuel, and he tells Samuel what's going to happen, and he says, you know, Eli doesn't see, and he doesn't hear, but what's about to happen is going to Tingle the ears of everyone. And um, God says on one day, everybody's going to die, Eli and his kids. And then what ends up happening is they go into battle. You can read the rest of the story in chapter 4. And uh, they send out the priests, and Eli's sons are killed. Eli hears about it. He falls over, breaks his neck, and he dies in the same day. Don't wait until it's too late. That's the important thing for us is that we need to be people who are diligent and who are faithful. Don't ignore the things that God says. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness for this story. Lord, you intend for us to be faithful, to be faithful personally, to exercise leadership, to obey you. Lord, help us not to get caught up in a world that disregards you. Help us not to be serious about obedience. Lord, help us encourage one another to be faithful. And Lord, help us never misunderstand your grace, your kindness, your mercy, and your forgiveness. That to ignore your holiness is something that doesn't matter. Help us to take these things seriously in your name. Amen. Amen.